You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. <laughs> that, oh, yeah. <laughs> that that beginning photo is so deceptive I can't even believe it. Yeah. Tower over Andy. I'm frozen, he's going. <laughs> he's so angry. Why is he so angry? <laughs> you were you just in Washington? Washington? Yeah. That was neat. I was uh I was the, the only thing I don't like when I go near oceans and water, I'm like why are we not fishing? And a lot of people out there apparently just look at the ocean and admire it. I'm like, let's eat it. Let's go after it. And so I'm like talking to these guys. They're like, well, we fish in like 400 feet down to catch cod and all these other crazy, you know, halibut and whatever. Um, but it, uh, boy, you know, there's nothing more majestic than seeing, you know, wildlife, orca and seals and um, I never would have thought of going to that part of the world, San Juan Islands. Uh, check it out. I highly recommend it, especially if you're a mountain biker. Apparently, that's the mountain biking capital of the, the world. There's like five major manufacturers right in Bellingham, and you can go out there and demo like these $10,000 mountain bikes, and that, which I did not. I looked at them, um, but for like 150 bucks for the day, you can demo just an amazing piece of equipment. Um, so I guess a lot of extreme athletes live out there too. Real fun, quaint place to go. I uh, I don't know, Andy, if you know, but I was uh, I was attacked viciously by a fish at 11 years old. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. Orca? I think so. Orca or sunfish, one of the two. It was one of them that did it, but it bit me on uh, a part of my right up here, um, and it swelled up to like three times the size. Walk around that. Like that as an eleven year old, just say it. <laughs> and that's why I was limited to two children. Yeah, so um, if I saw orcas and seals, and it would just seal the fate that I don't go in the water. I don't go in unprotected anymore, anyways. But seriously, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that that uh, yeah, you know, but out there when the water is so deep and cool, and I mean, you know, what's crazy is like we were sitting out there watching you guys back here with a hundred degree, you know, weather, and we're sitting there putting on our parkas because it's only 62 degrees beautiful sunny but just nice chill actually be perfect climate for if i lived in a cage that'd be the temperature i'd have like 68 and sunny chris speaking of your fear of uh the unknown the water let's talk about the viral tweets of maybe some realtors fear the redfin the company redfin and its ceo um uh, they, they tweeted out 15 tweets about how crazy this housing market is. And I know you guys have your opinions on Redfin. What do you think? I think that Mr. Prasky has quite a few opinions on that. I don't think We only got one hour. Andy. Well, let me start with the CFO. <laughs> no, I think, you know, um, everybody has a right in America to uh, conduct themselves in a certain way of doing business. Um, I do feel, though, that the consumer right now is being duped by all these what I call industry interrupters that are trying to say, hey, we do the same service as a full service agent does, and we can rebate you money, or we can save you money, or we can discount. And, and that, that may be true if you're okay with limited services. 
I think the problem is, is that they project themselves as being like full service, um, you know, full experience. When you have an agent that goes to a company like that, no offense, they're trained by them. They usually have no to little experience. They're from outer industry sources. And they say they do that to keep people fresh, to keep a different perspective on business and not to fall into the same rut of a, a traditional real estate agent. When I'm buying real estate, I want that traditional rut. I want somebody that knows what the hell's going on, knows how to protect me, knows how to find the deals, networks with other agents and isn't treated like the plague. You know, because most of our, like uh, a lot of the builders I was working with for uh, over the years wouldn't even let Redfin agents show their models because they knew that there was a rebate program going on and that uh, they'd pay the agent and the agent would give half of it back to the buyer. And the builders are like, fine, then we don't pay, we don't pay real estate agents that, you know, pay their, their buyer. We'd rather give the buyer the discount directly and work with them individually. And, and completely cut that agent then out of the out of the loop. So it's it's an interesting thing. What kind of a job do you have? Do you want to work for free, or do you want to work at a discount, or are you specialized? And I think what they should redo is categorize those companies, including Zillow, which should be have a full disclosure that they're a full fledged selling, trying to sell you stuff industry. Um, you know, they provide information, but the second you ask for more, your information is sold. You're sold off to a team. You're sold off to a real estate agent. And then they try to hook you as a customer. That should be disclosed because I don't think as many people go to those sites as they as they do if they knew the end goal is to sell your information, right? So they're giving you what you want so that they can get what they want out of you so they can sell your name. And then you're considered to be now a lead when you're asking to see a house. And it, it, it blows my mind that there, our industry hasn't disputed this a little more and saying, hey, listen, th this is a, a timeshare sales situation where you're going to get sucked in and then they're going to try to close you because they have 30 seconds to close you when you're at that house, convince you to do business with them and they're going to be selling you hard. Nobody will sell harder than an agent that has a one-time meeting with you to just get you to keep calling them to do the next showing. Is it wrong? I don't think so. But I just, I just think it's important that people understand upfront that's what they're getting themselves into and they don't have to disclose that. So, And most of this guy, like that guy you got on the screen right there, the creep, all he's trying to do is is put his company to the public so that he can make his first load was $360 million he put in his pocket. He's a website designer that's just trying to pick on any industry he can to try to, you know, streamline the services. So say what you want. I, I'm not a big fan. I uh, Unless they start disclosing what they really are. Let's move on to those tweets. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Let me take a swig of my whiskey here. Look at my new... Yeti, Andy. What does it say? Naughty or? Naughty oh. or. Remember Thane, Tandy? Yeah, was I do. We still do. Look at Some these the things. It's huge. When we had him on CCO, he brought us a whole gift bag. That was nice. I know. All right, let's, let's get her started. All right. The first tweet. It has been hard to convey through anecdotes or data how bizarre the U.S. housing market has become. For example, a Bethesda, Maryland home buyer working with Redfin included in her written offer a pledge to name her firstborn child after the seller. She lost. That's because she's a joke. It's, it's funny. You talk about, uh, the, I mean, they call those love letters, uh, love letters to the seller, just trying to trying to find some sort of, I don't know, uh, an end to try to get them um, excited about uh, accepting their offer. But I don't think I've ever heard one naming after your first naming your kid after them. So that's that's interesting. But and, and I gotta be honest with you. That's weird. Yeah, you want to talk about a biased opinion? I mean, my goodness, that. Yeah, fair housing guys. 
There are now more realtors than listings. Correct. <laughs> you're going to buy it. You're going to agree with that one. It, Cause there, I mean, that that's a fact there is, I don't know after our little uh, MLS uh, debacle this last week, there might be uh, a ton of listings showing up today and tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Whole, I, I have four. Yeah. We weren't able to switch things with listings. So people weren't able to get listings on since, I mean, since really Friday night, right? So Friday night right. until now, finally today, uh, it should fully be working. But that's a lot of action from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, Chris, let's, let's be honest. Why do you think that is? I mean, I heard in the Twin Cities here, we're, we're hovering around that 20, 21,000 agents, and there's not 21,000 listings. I mean, there's like, what is it, 5,800 listings or something? And, you know, it. so it's, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and then a guy like you will have several listings, um, you know, and that means that so many others don't have any. And so what, what's the draw to get in this industry? You know, it's, it's kind of like jumping into a pool with no water. It's like, why would you do it? Yeah. A lot of, I mean, well, we know, I mean, for a fact, because half the agents don't even sell a house. And so, I mean, those numbers are a little skewed. It, it, right. if, if it said, you know, there's more listings than active realtors, that's a little different than more listings than realtors, because there is, I mean, half of them don't sell yearly, but they they have different reasons for it. Or, you know, they got a different job and they're like, well, why would I give this up? I'm going to just kind of keep my licensing going. And some people do that. So. Yeah. Since you spent the time and the investment and if your life changes and you want to jump back in or whatever, but you know, when you put your license on ice, just to make this crystal clear, there's, there's not a lot of companies that let you do that for free. So to hold your license, it costs money to warehouse anything, right? It, you know, so you're paying a warehousing fee to hold it. Um, and then usually they don't let you write your own deals because when you're put into the lowest or the cheapest bracket or storage, you're in the back of the warehouse. And when you finally want to, Hey, Oh, Hey, I want to go buy a house for myself and save the commissions. The broker will say, okay, it's 50, 50, or, or they want a huge admin fee to do it because you know, it's not, so you, at the end of the day, it doesn't, in my opinion, pay to hold a real estate license more than about two years. If you're not going to reactivate it. Um, the, the numbers just don't add up. Even if you find a place to keep it really, really cheap, um, just the insurance costs, the, you know, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize. It's like running a business and you, you have a huge liability when you're, when you're doing, you know, millions of dollars in volume. So it, it, it needs to be insured. It needs to be protected. It's, it's, you know, so. It's kind of a big investment. You probably want someone that knows what they're doing to protect you. Just saying. Yeah. Inventory is down 37% year over year to a record low. The typical home sells in 17 days, a record low. Home prices are up a record amount, 24% year over year to a record high. And still homes sell on average for 1.7% higher than asking price. Another record. I don't know if those stats are exactly uh, They're not. true. Um, but I, I think with any stats, you can manipulate um, and, and show them how they are but that seems uh that seems pretty high uh there's some houses that have gone crazy and and the market is and you have to react pretty quick um but i'll tell you what i haven't the last six listings we've never gotten to the open house and we go on either thursday or friday with an open house set up on sunday for sure and it it hasn't made it uh the last five or six listings we haven't got we had uh, we had one not too long ago where it was a condo we were putting up for sale and there had not been a condo for sale in five years. And no joke, within four days of us putting ours on the market, six other condos went up for sale. And Gabriel was kind of waiting to see. 
And then the pricing came in and we listed and then all of a sudden, boop, 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 all of a sudden there's a bunch of them on there. You know, it, it's, it's kind of competitive that way. So I think some people are in that make me move. If I can get this price, I'll do it. And there's a lot of houses that are at that price point now where they're like, if I could get this much for this house, I, I'm going to do it. You know, that, that is a, you know, interesting yeah. way to do it for sure. Yeah. And I think people have different opinions too, Andy, of what is happening to the market and what's going to happen. And some people are, are jumping, you know, and trying to get, trying to get out of it, but it just kind of keeps going, you know, and I, I had people jumping earlier this year and now all of a sudden that same house they sold is probably 35,000 more. Yeah. But in two of America's largest cities, inventory has increased in New York by 28% in San Francisco by 77%. San Francisco hasn't had an inventory increase this large since 2008. And still in both markets, prices are increasing. Yeah, the most usually lead the way, don't they? They do. Yeah, exactly. I think that's interesting that, you know, inventory, everyone's worried um, around here that if in inventory increases, that's when the market will start going down. Uh, those two markets have said their inventory is going way up and their prices are still increasing, um, which is, that's pretty interesting uh, stat itself. Well, it goes to show there's a bunch of pent up buyers that yep. have not had the opportunity to, to take advantage of the low interest rates. You need a place to live. If you have a good job or you have good, you know, source of income and you want that lower payment, it is time to move, even if it is a little higher. I, I still think, you know, the old analogy of when rates start going up um, as they, you know, hopefully in the next year or two, they, they feel the economy is strong enough to do it, um, which blows my mind, too, because in the old days when interest rates were held down, most people were panicking, thinking, oh, my God, why are they keeping interest rates so cheap? Is there something wrong? Yeah, it's, it's stimulus, stimulus, stimulus. I mean, think about it. We're in an economy that's a stimulus-based economy now. You know, you you don't have regular people getting, you know, raises and buying more affordable houses. It's they have to lower interest rates to make the house affordable to get the appreciation. But I'll tell you what, one thing that is clear, there's tons of appreciation out there. There's tons of people that still own their houses free and clear. I mean, to the tune of like 40% of the houses in, in Minnesota for sure, and I know it's nationally, it's pretty close, are owned free and clear. That, that's a lot of people that don't have to worry about a mortgage payment or defaulting. And then there's a, a gigantic amount of people that have huge equity positions in their homes um, by choice. And so it's like there, there's a lot of money moving around and a lot of speculation on, on things that only imply people with financial issues will have to deal with. Even if you lose your job, if you have 200 grand of equity in your house, you, you either live off the equity until you get another job or you sell your house, take all the money and live off of that. You know, So it's not like it's not like we're in a position right now where there's any kind of a hole in the ship and the ship is sinking. It's just the opposite. In 2020, new construction permits were down 13% in DC and New York, 40% in LA, 48% in Chicago, 50 Seattle, 79 San Francisco. Permits were up 25% Miami, 56% Vegas, 90% 96% in Greenville and 122% in Detroit. In Knoxville, Tennessee, 246%. What does this say about the market? People are moving out of high-tax areas and areas that they don't agree with. They're moving to low-tax areas. It's, it's not even a joke. People are moving from California to Texas, and they were talking about how Texas is changing because all these people that used to have, you know, the, like you watch those city council meetings on videos where they're, excuse me, um, personal privilege, I'd like to speak on my behalf for my neighborhood, 
and they talk, and they then they go to Texas and they're like, what the heck's that guy saying? You know, and it's like it's it's just different. But you know, there's a lot of people following the opportunities. Big companies that pay taxes like they're supposed to go to areas where they pay less taxes so they can make more money for their shareholders. Lots of companies are moving out of those areas that are high taxed and those high paying jobs are moving elsewhere. And guess what the people do? They follow their job. So, you know, if you're in a state that pro is pro business and pro, you know, hey, let's get companies here with good jobs. That's where you're seeing the growth and the areas that don't have that. That's where you're seeing the declines. And it, it's kind of sad, but it's reality for a lot of people. They need they need that extra income. It's funny. I've, I've got four people that are moving out of state, um, South Dakota, Florida, Texas. Um, and then I was just talking to another agent that he's got uh, these people he's working with and two are going to Florida and one's going to Texas. Um, I just think at, at some point people are getting are getting fed up with, you know, what they want to do and they're, they're actually leaving. And I haven't seen that in a long time. And um, but I mean, that Knoxville, Tennessee, I mean, the whole Nashville thing, I think people are uh, super excited about Vegas is is going crazy. I've got someone that just left to Vegas and there's 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 a thing called state tax too that's you know causing some of these people in which to be able to go and um it's uh it, it is it's 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 very interesting but i mean they're they're making good money here but you know you go out to um somewhere else i mean even say vegas for instance and the market's even hotter there people are talking with their mouth and that's something i've really noticed with nomads trying to pay as little tax as possible moving around and living a better life with the cost of living. So interesting. Yeah. Lumber prices are up 300%. <laughs> yes. But that is what's crazy about the market. I mean, that is, it is, it's, it's insane. And people still keep building, you know, I mean, and you've got to remember it's on lumber. Now other things are really starting to follow it too. So it's going to uh, throw up some other things, but she, you know, not, people are yeah, yeah, it's, it's lumber, it's plumbers, electricians, all those guys have kind of gone down the normal increases, but electrical just went up again because they had, you know, about a month ago with uh, material costs um, and they don't want to pass it through. Anything that's being imported, you guys, is getting touched by this, but it's getting real old because it's like, okay, we get it. There was a pandemic. Why are we two years later still, you know, dealing with your lack of supply and lack of people wanting to work? Well, especially in other countries because- in America, I get it. We're paying everybody to stay home, but in some of these other countries, or I should say everybody, but I mean, those that want to stay home have had great benefits that are going to be expiring soon. I think you'll see more people trickling back into the job market because they, they can't live off of that income anymore. So it, it'll be an interesting transition. I think it's a good thing though, right? I mean, even people that are, are open-hearted with the, you know, uh, help people and, and I, I get it, but it's like, you have to work. Why shouldn't everybody else have to do something and produce something every day, you know? And it's, um, you know, I think we all feel better about ourselves when we're productive. In Redfin's annual survey of nearly 2,000 home buyers, 63% reported having bid on a home they hadn't seen in person. Jeez. That's, that's, I don't. That's I Redfin, don't. though. That's, that's a Redfin number if I read that right. You know, that, that Redfin people are, are internet app-based Maybe they're trying to see if they can get it. And then if they get it, they go out and do the inspection and cancel. I don't you know? see that in the real market. I mean, I don't see that. I mean, every, you know, we get, obviously we have listings and we get multiple offers and every single offer that we've had, uh, minus one, which was my own, um, 
offer on one of my own listings. Uh, but in that yeah. listing, it had a video, had all the photos that had Matterport. They were able to do everything, and they had a friend go through it. So, but all the other ones, every agent and every buyer was through that property. Agreed. I think during COVID, in the beginning of the year, that was common. But now I'm seeing, my gosh, the people are stacked up going through showings. Andy, do you notice there's a like a light shining on me all the time? You, uh, Chris, you have what they call a glow, my friend. <laughs> That's what it is. That, see, I knew you would make it sound better. Thank you. It, that or it's the oil of Olay. Um, <laughs> you wear ma makeup based. Yeah. Uh, you guys, uh, well, no more flirting. Next one. <laughs> In an April survey of 600redfin.com users who had relocated in the past year, about two-thirds of the people who moved got a house the same size or bigger, but about the same proportion, two-thirds, spent the same or less on housing. Huh. Downsizers versus upsizers, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I don't know if that's uh, – if that's uh, – price sizing, you know what I mean? Um, it's not really necessarily that maybe they're, uh, I, I don't know about that. Uh, so I think I think the first part of it, relocating is, you know, they, they move, got the same, when you're moving, you're moving for a job. So you don't necessarily, you're not moving for the house. I think when I see local buyers moving, um, they're moving because they've realized, oh my gosh, we have three kids that are studying from home. Um, we have two people trying to work from home, mm -hmm. uh, a dog, nowhere to go. Um, so the kitchens are important. The sport courts are important. That buyer is looking for a house that accommodates their new lifestyle. The, when you're getting transferred, um, you're, you're probably getting transferred because of your job, I'm assuming. And if you're buying a smaller property for less money, you're, you're trying to head into retirement where you have less exposure to debt or less exposure to you know uh, overhead. And so you're trying to simplify. Yeah. Do you think, uh, Andy, and I, I, well, I do think this, that people are – uh, thinking different about life and priorities now. I think I think that was a big thing with this whole uh, Corona thing, um, and people locked up and being taken away and wearing masks and being told, you know, what you can and can't do, and um, maybe mortality. You know, thinking that yeah. boy, we could get zapped in a second and be done. And then I think people are kind of looking at a lot of these houses. You know what? Hey, I want to enjoy it, and I, I can afford it. I'm going to spend it. And I'm going to do it. And um, I, I think that there's a lot to say about that myself. Yeah. Agreed. No stats can kind of tell you about that, but it's it's people's uh, feelings. And people I talk to just have, uh, you know, are, are doing kind of what they want to do, you know? And that's like, you know, I mean, before it would have been crazy, crazy to think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sell and I'm going to relocate to another area. Now you can go anywhere you want with your job. It just made it super simple to be able to just take off to Florida or Texas or Nashville or Vegas or San Francisco. I mean, it made it a heck of a lot easier in which to do it. So now people are saying, screw it. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I'm not sitting in the snow the whole time. All right. Amen. Move on. Even though most of the people who moved got a bigger home, 78% reported having the same or more disposable income after their move. Idaho Idaho home prices could triple and still seem affordable to a Californian. And that's why Idaho tripled because the Californians came in and said, well, geez, here's what I can get. And it just, and it drove the market. But how many more uh, states can California screw up for us? Jeez. <laughs> they already wrecked their own state and they got everybody moving out of there the way it is right now. 
Yeah, it's, a, it's quite interesting. It's hard to sell a $30 million mansion when there's nobody there living there anymore. And they're selling. I mean, that's the other thing is that those all still sell. So they're, they're, they're getting their money and moving to other places and, and getting unbelievable. I mean, you see some of these people that come in with cash, you're like, you're paying cash? You, you I mean, yeah. oh, good for you, you know? Well, assuming you make California money and then you move to Idaho, and Idaho probably doesn't have the same $800,000 a year job that you had in California. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Potatoes and mountains. No, I definitely see that traveling. You see the, the money Americans make. It is crazy. Yeah, Nick, what do they do? They go over there and they can basically, I mean, if you, if you had a couple hundred grand in your pocket, I mean, you could live an unbelievable life for a, quite a few years. For sure, hundred percent. If you can make seventy, if you can make seventy-five thousand dollars a year, location independent, you're living very, very, very well, and then eighty-five percent of the world. My uh, my my uh, godfather moved to uh, Split, Croatia, and uh, just up and moved, and lives like a king. I mean, they're they're going up to Rome and getting all their food. They go by train, and then they fresh ocean and it's warm and I'm, I'm like that's one of the best kept secrets out there is croatia you know split is pretty touristic now i was there a couple of years yeah. ago but yeah, croatia is amazing amazing places yeah. there yeah low cost of living cool next one for low tax states four people move in for everyone who leaves for texas this ratio is five to one florida seven to one cities and states have no leverage to raise taxes after many promised new money for social justice, the federal go government will have to fund long-term investments. Huh. I think people who want to live there will. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it's. I think people are are moving places um, because of maybe how they want things handled instead. And and I don't think people are afraid in which to be able to pay for that kind of uh, stuff. So. Um, yeah, don't you think though eventually it, it, like any area like even in minnesota here where we had a few i don't know 10 years ago there was capacity issues with natural gas where some of these cities that we have like up in the northern suburbs when you were way out like in the beckers and the monticellos they were barely getting any natural gas to their houses because they were at the outskirts same thing's going to happen with the capacity with florida and texas and everywhere else unless you're on your own septic and well and you burn wood to heat your house I mean, or whatever, because it's like you get to a point of where there's only so much electric. Look at Texas. Their grids go down all the time. They, they can't handle when everybody flips on their AC. And they, I think a lot of people go to Texas don't realize that, hey, Austin, Texas right now can be 100, 110, 115 degrees and swelter. I'm just so hot it's unbelievable to the point where you can't even go outside. And they're all moving there thinking it's going to be nice, like 75 and sunny, like, you know, San Diego. And they get there and it's like, oh, my God. So the ACs come on. Now everybody's running AC. So it, you know what? There's only so much you can do with capacity sewers. I mean, think about this. What if your toilets don't flush and you're in a major city that just got overwhelmed with all these people moving to it and they don't know how to fix the infrastructure immediately and there's a long-term problem? I mean, think about it. These are real. You only flush your toilet three times a day, Chris. Mm -hmm. I mean, gross. Th those are real-world problems, though, that will happen in some of these cities that are just getting bombarded with humans. This migration, this migration to lower cost areas areas may lead to lower workforce participation. For many families, Redfin has relocated. The money saved on housing costs let one parent stop working. A wave of Redfin customers are retiring early. 
was I was coming up with another question I'm sending you, Nick. So I did throw that question back up on there. No, I agree. I think that he basically said that there's a lot of people that are moving to these lower cost areas. So one of the two um, of the couple can can stop working or quote retire early. And um, I don't know if it's as much retiring early as it is having the ability to live a decent lifestyle, raise your kids, or have you know time to, if you have health issues or you have whatever that you need to tend to. Um, that occupy your time. Um, it just gives you that privilege to do that by by lowering your costs, or yeah. the ability to do that. I should say privilege, but yeah, I don't know. Do you think? Do you think too? Um, I, I I don't know if they'll ever. I mean, maybe stop working from a, you know, hey, a nine to five job every single day. But I mean, if you're retiring at 50, 55 years old, I mean, there's no way you're sitting around for thirty years doing nothing. I would think you would be doing something you know what i mean yeah i mean so i don't know i i'm starting to go with andy now i mean some of these things are um i don't know what these some of these tweets are if they're are you saying redfin's a joke and they should go away chris is that no, what I'm, you're saying? I'm just saying i mean i think you can kind of uh twist and turn a, a lot of different things when you have a um you made a really good point and i didn't think about it but when you're saying who's doing the surveys and what kind of people are answering them, um, you know, and if people are, you know, they're internet based and, they, and, and you know what, I'm, I'm one of those that hey, there's something for everyone. That's fine. That's, that's totally fine. Check it out. If you want to do it, you go, go right ahead and do it. Um, but I, I think to, you know, I, I think we can sway the way uh, these, these little surveys might, might go and, and why we're why we're doing them, and you know, is it to scare people or keep them in that city? You know, versus I don't know. It's just yeah. No, I think there's always there's a reason there's a reason for everything. So why would you spend the time to survey all these people to get data to smear across the internet unless you wanted to get something back out of it? Like if you think about that last tweet, more of our Redfin clients are retiring early. Oh come on. Yeah, uh, good point. I think, um, yeah, Redfin leans more to like the millennials. A lot of millennials have issues with, say, the boomers or the older people that bought the housing at cheap prices and now are selling it like crazy. And they're retiring early. And they're saying like millennials have to work longer and harder for everyone else. So maybe there's that slant too. Well, I've also seen the quality of the buyers. I mean, they're just, they're, they don't see value in, in the industry. And they it's kind of an interesting thing where I've had buyers that are building new that will um, have a Redfin agent. You never meet the agent from Redfin. You never see them. And then the clients are so, um, okay, well, then we're going to not do this. Bye. And then they just disappear. So they're real flighty. So for me, I got to be honest with you, I'm not a huge fan of the, the flightiest, you know, internet real estate company in the country um, right next to, you know, some of the other ones that are there. But Next one. <laughs> Lenders are calling employers to confirm that that home buyer will have permission to work remotely when the pandemic ends. Rates are lower for loans on primary residencies, and the lender also wants to make sure the borrower actually pay, plans to work after getting the loan. Huh. Yeah. Weird concept. I mean, that is that is something they should be uh, definitely doing. Um, you know, I mean, obviously they got to protect. I mean, like, I don't know. It was like our last little crisis. I think it was more kind of from a, a mortgage crisis than anything. 
I mean, they let anyone and everyone get a loan and you don't have to do anything. I mean, in, in Minneapolis right now, I mean, I have two renters that aren't paying and it's just, it's, it's wrong. It's so wrong. They can pay, but Minneapolis won't kick them out. You, you can't do nothing about it. It's, right. it's, it's the craziest thing in the world, you know? Yeah. And, but God darn it, those things still sell and I'm selling mine. Anyone wants a four-place sale in Minneapolis. Um, it, it will be coming onto the market. So let me, let me just, I'm just, I'm not perturbed by this. That don't pay, by the way. So you have to do that. Well, and I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm thinking about this out loud in an adult context. How, how many lenders will call and not believe their own clients when they're verifying income? If I show you three years, four years of tax returns and show you that I can make this kind of money and demonstrate that I can do it, and then you're not, and then, okay, number one. Number two, so I can show you can pay. Number two, you call my employer, and my employer is not going to guarantee my employment. I'm not under contract. So I, I just think this thing is skewed because no employer, they're going to say, well, right now that's our policy. It could change any day. Now, there's that's no what guarantee. employer is going to say. There's no guarantees. No. I mean, you could get fired tomorrow. You could get fired right. the next day. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And, and, and the government could come in and say, hey, none of you can go to work right now. I mean, so you can't. Yeah. There you go. See, now I'm starting to get a little fired up with Andy. Here. Get fired up. Let's do it. You guys are fired up. Here's an interesting point. I was very excited when the um, work remotely thing became popular because it, it helps my lifestyle a lot. But then I started looking more into it, and I think a lot more corporations are going to be like, oh, you know, if they can all work from home, we don't need them to come to the office. Let's do all the guys in India and pay them 10% of the salary. So it is very worrisome. That's, I agree, man. I think that's 100% what people don't realize. And or you're going to see people scam in the system where they have three jobs at one time with three company laptops open and they're touching the keyboards and they're scamming. And the companies will realize, oh, we're getting scammed by these remote workers. It, it's it. I'm telling you, those big offices, they're not ripping them down for a reason. They'll be full again. I, I just I don't I just I people don't trust people. It's just human nature not to trust. If I can't see you, you're not working. Or the other thing is, is this, when you work remote, you got to be careful because you're just a number then. If you've never met your boss or your employer and you're logging in and you're on a meeting with a thousand people and they say, you know what, let's cancel that division. Bloop, you're gone. So, I mean, it's a lot different than when you're walking down the hall and your boss comes in your office and sees a picture of your family. They have a little more compassion for you. They see that you're working hard and, and they're, they're rooting for you versus just looking at you as a number with numbers coming in. Because then you're right, India does look pretty sexy because those people are three bucks an hour. Yeah, just they did it for the manufacturing. Now you hope they don't do it for the everyday office job, but we'll see. Yeah. The average housing budget for out of towners moving to Nashville was seven hundred and twenty thousand, fifty percent higher than locals four hundred eighty-five thousand budget. It used to be coastal elites who worried that every adult in the family had to win a career lottery just to afford a home. Now that feeling may spread. This is a big thing for millennials in my generation right now, worried about not being able to afford homes. I think they, I think they have the right True. to worry. <laughs> they should be worrying um, and, and doing it. But uh, I'll tell you right now, it's, um, I mean, people are, it, it's kind of sad. We have a, a few buyers in that lower price range and, um, you know, based on their circumstances. And I mean, they're, in two years ago, they were a great buyer, no problem at all. But now, I mean, someone who doesn't have at least 20% financing and wants to do an inspection is someone that's not going to get a home. And it's just, it's really quite sad. 
Well, it's, it's reality, man. I mean, you're, you're literally seeing one of the biggest rips in the country, rich and poor. And it, it's, I mean, it looks like it's going to be million dollar houses and trailer parks because it, it's just, I mean, th that was an interesting stat too. I had on a trivia thing we did, that there, there, there's a thousand trailer parks in the state of Minnesota. Did you know that, Chris? No. Trailer parks. So you I look mean, at how many people. I, are I don't go to Champlain a lot though, so. I don't know. We don't have any trailer parks up here, my friend. <laughs> I wish we did. I'd own them. Um, cash cows, by the way. Um, but the idea there is that the the uh, there, there's a lot of different forms of what we call live or living or shelter. And it, it's going to continue to change because they're, what are they building most of right now everywhere? Apartments, condos, because they're hoping that those are affordable and sustainable, right? And then when you're seeing houses being built, you walk in and People say, oh, I have a you know five, six hundred thousand dollar budget. I actually have to stop and say, hmm, well, we can build in this development or that development. It, it's not like you can build anywhere you want anymore with a six hundred thousand dollar budget. You, you have to literally do the math. How big of a house? Where do you want to live? What are the covenances? What are the and so it because of those rules and things that we're doing to ourselves, we're we're creating a very separated housing market. Right. Truth. Okay, that was. It's not just income that's K-shaped, but mobility. Ninety percent of people earning a hundred thousand dollars plus per year expect to be able to work virtually, compared to the ten percent of those earning forty thousand or less per year. The folks who need low-cost housing the most have the least flexibility to move. True. Well, and you know what? That you look at the kind of jobs that pay forty thousand. You know, factory workers, assembly stuff. You know. Um, you know, probably landscapers, um, you know, uh, the, a lot of people in the service industry with restaurants, um, you know, where they're, yeah, I mean, and you can't go very far, you know, that's where a lot of times they, they will intentionally build uh, businesses where they're, the humans are. Because if you all said, yep, we got a great deal on a piece of land outside of town 20 miles, and we can have all the room we want to expand, but you can't get any employees there, you know, to work it, unless you're robotic, you're, you're, uh, you need the humans. Last one, an investor recently said with an ancient touch of awe, but also greed, that one source of America's miraculous economic recovery was the bounty of the land itself. We have more room to grow than we ever imagined. We just have to make sure that benefits everyone. I, I think that is. I think you, you get out in the country and you start driving around, you, it's amazing how much land there is out there in the middle of nowhere, but it is, Andy said it, it's the infrastructure, you know, that you have to try to be able to create and get out there. But it's amazing how much vast land there is, but everyone wants to, you know, I mean, and what it was is obviously you got to get close to your job. If the, if the job is there, you got to be able to get to it. Um, so, but this is a way in which to do it, Andy. I was just driving down in, um, on the way to Jordan from Prior Lake, just going down Highway 13, all of a sudden on the side of the road, I see this thing and it, it's nomadic shack. They build these houses out of those uh, containers, you know, yeah. but they are so cool and they are so awesome. If you go into the gallery, Nick, and it's out of Minnesota, they go everywhere. And, uh, but they kind of make them here and then they finish them on site. But if you, uh, there's some plans, um, um, maybe it's under PP, but look at, isn't that cool? So that, is that one house with three containers? With, there's five. That one's got actually five containers. So there's two across the back, and then there's three that jet out. And then they oh, just cool. kind of, 
raise the roof a little and kind of give it just a little contemporary design. But I don't know. I think look at. I mean, they're unreal. I mean, they're they're top of the line. They're about three. I mean, in the end, it's about three hundred dollars a square foot. But you can pick them up and bring them anywhere. And you know, I think you know, uh, multi generational living housing. This is something. Hey, if you're on acreage, you could put one of these out for your parents to live in or something. So, so how? So the so, um, if I'm hearing you right, without land, it's averaging three hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, to to do these. But I mean, they're 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 not huge things, you know. I mean, so obviously the per square foot price goes up, but they're anywhere from six six hundred to eighteen hundred square feet. So right now in Minneapolis, just to give you a comparison. Um, we're delivering houses, two stories in the 175 to 185 a square foot, um, finished with land. And we're with uh, Ramblers, we're around that 200 to 230, depending on ceilings and whatever else you do. And so that this is more expensive. So I'm curious, what is it? Yeah, is size. It I mean, Andy, if you, 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 you know more than anyone that the kitchen's going to cost you a heck of a lot more than True. an extra bedroom space. And so... When you when you float it out to all of those different things, that that price goes down. Oh, this so you so basically, there, so we should contact put in context that their average house is probably under a thousand square feet. It probably eight hundred yes. square feet or something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But that then, makes sense to me. Then that's storage. There's your storage area, Andy. Look at that on the bottom right. The can shack. It's called. Nice. <laughs> awesome. I don't know. I think that. Look at this yeah. one right on the. Nick, go back up right there on the on the water. Like it's literally on the water. I think that's so on the left. Anyways, that's I'm just showing you, Andy, what, what's gonna happen. We got all that land out there. Look at what you can do. You can go bring a nomadic shack. Nick, there's your there's your new house. Hey, yeah, look, tell you what. Cool. It it actually is. You know, the you can buy those containers. I don't know if you guys have ever Googled those, but they're you know, six thousand bucks for a 40 footer. And and they're they're used and they what you do is you you have to, you know, sometimes weld pieces back together. There's rusty spots, but at the end of the day, they're they're pretty cool and they're they're very strong. Um, you Andy, know, are, you seeing, are you hearing anything on um, like ICF, like insulated concrete forms, like for walls taking over? I, mean, I have one guy last year asked me about it, and they wanted to do their whole house with it, which is the you know the styrofoam outside, and it's plastic on the inside that crisscrosses, and they fill it with concrete. Um, it has channels in there for your electric and your plumbing. Okay. Um, great, great product. Again, it's just, I think you anytime it, has, it gets expensive, yes. Okay, it's, so it's more expensive than the lumber would be, though. And I think that part of it, though, Chris, is it's not that it's more expensive. It's that nobody knows how to do it, or the very few people that do it are, are they're so busy that they don't care. So the, the okay. prices are higher. If more people got into it, you know, I mean, there's no reason. I mean, with the the way lumber is and the way everything is costing, they they need to start getting into some alternatives. I was looking at a um, out in uh, Bellingham. There was a couple of the framing companies out there that do everything with recycled steel studs, and they say it used to cost about forty percent more than lumber, but they're like right now it's pretty right in line with the regular prices of lumber, and they make panels, um, all steel studded panels, and have them delivered to the houses. So they're like we're lumber free anyway. Almost. So. That's yeah, very interesting. I mean, I think that's the, I mean, America is, well, they'll come up with, you know, different things. <laughs> and yeah, innovation is key. You know, innovative. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
Uh, and I think, you know, the, that whole insulated concrete thing is, you know, in the end, what's it going to cost you too? Because it's got to be a lot more energy efficient as well. Well, you know, there's a, company, there's a company out of Cottonwood, Minnesota. I think they're still in business down there called Extreme Panels. And they do um, OSB exterior. And then they had foam in the middle. And it was just this great concept. Well, now OSBs, you know, 56 bucks a sheet or whatever the heck it is. So it's like, it doesn't help. But um, for a while there, they had a pretty neat looking system too. Yeah. This is what you're talking about, the concrete? Yes. Yep. Yeah, it looks like a concrete form and they fill it. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And that's insulation on each side of it. Yeah. You know, so it's real airtight and stuff. So. I had a house, you know, it was probably, God, back in the early 2000s we built, and it had the ICF forms all the way up. It was a big rambler. And then we hand-framed uh, the floors in there and everything else, and that they made like it came up, and then it turned in and went up to the upper level. So it had a lip for the trusses to sit on. Um, it was really cool, but they spent $800,000 on this house by the time we were done with it. And what's interesting, too, is that you, you're not used to it, but the wall, like the window jams, are you know the the concrete's eight inches plus the trim plus a also now you have a 12 inch deep you know window jam um and it seems like you're looking out of a, a cave you know it was it was a little you'd have to get used to it but can't you get like those window openings just a lot wider i you think should, when they're yeah. smaller and it looks like you know you get them wider i've seen them and they look a lot better but i got a question though you when you said they spent eight hundred thousand for that house um what do you think they would have spent just normally I mean, like a normally built. Four? No way. Oh, yeah. They, they, the way that they did this house, everything was done super energy efficient. We did geothermal systems, in-floor heat. They did. Um, they were all about the energy efficiencies and trying to, it was like trying to be off the grid without, you know, in the back in the day, but still getting the technology of modern day. Um, so, and they, they bought the best of the best. So what they have to do is live till they're 232 years old to have that payback. Or find a buyer that appreciates everything they put into that house and is willing to pay more for it than it'll appraise for, yes. But see, you see a lot of those people that are like that where they're they're, you know, they're it's their quote last house they want to build and they've got some money and they don't really care. They built the house they want to live in, they live in that house, and then it's their kids' problem when they croak, you know. Yeah, exactly. So what'd you guys think of that overall um, Twitter thread by the Redfin CEO? It was really popular in the real estate circles for millennials and younger people. Yeah, Andy is Andy switching companies after we get off this podcast. I think. I think he loves them. <laughs> he looks like a bird. I, no offense, but I mean, come on. I've, I've seen him interviewed. We were actually. I, I do. Uh, there's a Inman is a company that has these these technology seminars, and they did one out a couple years ago in San Francisco, right off the Silicon Valley there, and they. They had all these kind of executives coming in, and one of them was this Glenn, and all these other executives from Facebook and Instagram, and it was it was great. And to listen to these individuals talk, and they weren't they didn't care that you were in the real estate industry. They were telling you what they were doing, and they're like, "So we've taken um, an industry that has not been disrupted for years, and we're going to go in there using publicly traded money. So you know we're an open you know exchange company. We set up the infrastructure." And we're going to go in there and basically use the, the investors' money to try to disrupt our industry. And it wasn't just them. It was Zillow. It was, um, you know, all these open doors. It's, you know, the, hey, let's let's go. 
But what's funny is that they all come back to even even the guys with guaranteed offers, they're all making seven percent to twelve percent or more on those houses when they sell them. And guess whose pocket it's coming out of? The, the consumers. And so these consumers think they're oh the service is way better and the fees are down. I'd love to see somebody run a report if they had the guts to do it to show what the average agent pays for a house with Redfin, for example. Um, are they overpaying because you know nobody's they're they're having somebody not help them that because they're a salaried individual that doesn't care versus somebody that's commission based and wants a referral out of them. You know, it's it's a different way to put your pants on. I mean, when you're a fiduciary, I take that very seriously. I I don't let my clients get in harm's way. I, I go out of my way to make sure that those people that are buying houses, um, I'm doing a market analysis when they're buying to make sure that they're buying right. And if they're not, I say, hey, listen, you're overpaying on this house, in my opinion, by $30,000, $40,000, and you still want to proceed. And most people in today's market still say, yeah, we're okay with that. We're going to pay the difference in cash. So even if we get in a position where we have to liquidate and the market recedes back to where it's supposed to be, at least we had the house, we got to live there for how many years, and, and, and then I feel better. But you know, when you're buying based on clicks and, and somebody showing up that doesn't have experience, God bless you. I think you're crazy. I mean, I, I see an experienced person that I used to be a real estate agent. Um, I don't need all the services, um, you know, or something like that. Then maybe something like this would work. But for the, I just, I think it's misleading to the consumers that believe they're getting the full service and, and they're not. Hey, let me, let me ask you this though. When the internet was taking over and all the older people, the older agents didn't get on board with it. They got uh, left behind. Is that you guys now with all these new services going on? How do you balance innovation and traditional real estate? Well, it depends um, on what, again, the services are looking for, right? What I'm saying is, are you that old agent when the internet came out 20 years ago? Then you didn't adapt to it right now. Are these guys ahead of the curve? Right. They're trying to push real estate? Just kidding. Yeah. No, it... Go ahead, Chris. Well, I just think that, um, I mean, adapting to innovation is, I think, one thing, like being able to use the tools that people are using. So we're on the internet and we syndicate to everything that every millennial is going to get regardless. I mean, whether we're, we're tweeting stuff or, um, you know, telling them, you know, they have to buy online and they can click here and click there. Um, I just don't, you know, I, I never thought I would buy something online, you know, without looking at it either, but I'm buying stuff all the time online uh, without doing it. Uh, but I just don't, I, I just think a house, I just, I don't know. I think there's, there's going to be plenty of time left for Andy and I to uh, uh, you, you go back, go survive. back in time, you know, back in history, the caveman that would start losing his eyesight and you'd sit there and you'd have somebody that would literally starve to death if they didn't have people around them to help them. Right. So then all some ophthalmologists come along and they, they develop glasses. And by looking through lenses, you can see differently and you can gain your eyesight back. That turns into people sitting there with laser beams in your eyeballs. It, it, every industry has to evolve. And if you're smart enough to adapt to the new technologies coming at you and not get tricked by the gimmicks, um, there's a lot of people that right now love, you know, having like lasers in their eyes. And I, I don't have to wear glasses. It's wonderful. I've had other people that will say, Oh my gosh, I wish I never would have done that because now I have to redo it again and it's scary and it's whatever. So what you have to do is you have to take each individual customer and say, hey, what are you looking for? What do you need? And adapting your business to accommodate what they're looking for. I don't do full service on every client I have. I have some people that will call me and say, hey, my brother wants to buy my mom's house. Can you write it up for us? 
and, and, and you charge a fee to do that, but it's not like these jerks on the radio charging five grand. I mean, I'll do something like that for 1500 bucks, a thousand, but it depends on what you're asking me to do. You know, if I'm getting together for an hour or writing up a bunch of paperwork, I'm more than pleased to do a flat fee and get something done and help you guys save money, get your brother in there, and then make sure more importantly to me, making sure that the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, and that the deal is done correctly. That's what you're coming to me for, you know? And then on top of that, there's other jobs where, hey, you've got a unique property, you've got an executive home, you have a whatever, and now marketing is really important for you as a client. Then I pull, put on the marketing cap and say, hey, here's where we're gonna put you because this is where the eyeballs are. This is what we've identified as being a target audience that will buy your house, and then we design your marketing to go to those people. There's no general, put it on the internet and it works for everybody, that doesn't work. So people that are out there selling that, it's like saying salt is the best spice and the only spice you need. Is it? Salt doesn't always taste good on everything. <laughs> Andy's analogy, there it is. You're on mute, Nick. You can survive on that one salt though. Yeah, I mean, that no no spice. doubt. I mean, and you, you could also survive living in the wilderness without a toilet. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do in life that don't require, you know, the full service, as I'd say. Yeah. What about this comment right here? This kind of relates to Redfin and maybe some other people. Uh, I think, um, I mean, 600 billboard ads around the metro. I'll tell you what, I did a bill. I did some billboards on 35W and it was one of the digital ones. And I got eight seconds every 64 seconds and it cost me 1500 a week. Yeah, when you do one, I think if we're talking about the same guy, he buys remnant space. So whenever they have a downed billboard that somebody's not paying full retail for, he says, I'll give you something. It's very like 20 cents on the dollar. So he's probably paying 200 bucks for that same exposure um, versus, you know, a onesie guy like me or you would go in there and pay a lot more. Um, but I've heard it's a couple hundred thousand a month. And that's why when, I mean, I had a call the other day uh, about these billboards and he said he was coming back from Iowa or was almost in Iowa and there were six of them within or nine of them within a half mile. And yeah. that's exactly probably what it was is that, you know, you just stack them up and say, Hey, at least we got something, you know, and people will notice that. And then maybe someone else will buy that, um, you know, ad. What I always say though, is, it, is this, if you have that much overhead, you, you, you're, you cannot afford to give any kind of a value to a client. I mean, it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, put thoughts in people's heads, but I'll say, just think about it. If you have somebody that you're hiring that's going to spend 300 grand a month on advertising, they have to profit 300 grand to break even. You're paying for that. So it's like, okay, that's one way to do it. And and, and it's self-promotion versus product promotion. You're not promoting the, the products. You're promoting your, I don't know. I just, see, this is, a, this is the problem I have with this industry. I don't think there's clarity on what you're getting. And so people will buy, if, if you think because somebody has the most, you know, TV commercials or billboards or ads in the paper, that that's the agent that you want. Why are you hiring them is what I ask you. Is it because they have great exposure or they're the only person you can find? Is it the, you know, that they spend a lot of money that intrigues you? What, what is it that pulls you into them? But I think that, you know, when you interview agents, I've always said this, sit an agent down and say, listen, I'm going to pay 6% to sell my house. Okay. And across the board, what are you going to do for 6%? What are you going to get me for a sale price? And, and how long do you think it'll take me to sell? You will be so impressed with the answers you get from real estate agents on what they can do, how they can do it. And then you know what you're going to have is guys like myself will say, you know what? If I do it this way, I have a tier system. 
If I sell it direct, I can go down to here. If I don't have to spend all this money on this marketing, I can do this. You know, so depending on each client's individual needs, it yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I like I like being who we are. I think we have evolved. I think we have all the current tools in our in our in our tool belt. We just choose to use them appropriately for the clients that need that tool. Anyone, any, anyone can sell a house right now. Not it, not anyone can get you the most amount of money. And I'll tell what you terms? what, percent or two percent can go like that, like that in negotiations or not prepping the house appropriately. Um, I'm going to be uh, listing two houses that just that that happened to. I mean, the greatest market there ever was, and uh, now they have uh, they have uh, a stigma on them, and I have to flip it completely around and 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 get their money out of it. And if it would have done been right the first time, I never would have been coming into the into this uh, realm because people think you can go in and you tell them, and they go in and say, Andy, I'll do it for I'll heck, Andy, I'll pay you to sell your house for you. I just want this listing and you know, you don't have to do anything. Don't worry about it. Every house sells. We'll just put it on the market. Gosh, you know what? We're going to negotiate a little. So let's add another 300,000 on top and then let's just see if it, we'll see if it works. And then all of a sudden it now it becomes, Hey, that realtor, it wasn't that that realtor didn't tell him what to do or, or, or to price it right. Now it becomes, you know, there's something wrong with that house. What is it? I mean, every house sells right now. Why would that house sell? Well, it was way overpriced and now as it sits, now other things that maybe weren't a problem before, like, you know what, it's on a five acre lot, but there's a pond, there's a pond in the back. And I guarantee you there's those uh, West Nile mosquitoes that are in there. And then they like, they've killed three people. They must've not disclosed it. I mean, it's just people come up with that stuff. It is, isn't that not true? They said, what's wrong with it? And the longer it sits, then they automatically the perception out there is it's different. So when we have to go in and do that, we have to reset the whole narrative and you gotta give a different look, you know? I, I had one that they're like, oh, these pictures were great, they're great. They're not great, they didn't work. You know, we have to do it something different. So I, I actually do have a friend of ours that just, this was, you know, uh, earlier this year that they um, were like, oh, hey, I, I just I just sold my my property to uh, the neighbor. His, his son's gonna buy the property. I'm like, oh, good for you guys. I said, let me know if you need me to help you with anything, write it up, do whatever. Oh, no, we did it all ourselves. And and I'm sitting there curiously going, okay, what did they sell for? And I'm like sitting there and, and they go, uh, well, I go, well, what'd you guys get? They go, 330. Well, you know, with no expenses, that's a good deal. And in my head, I'm going, that's 450 all day long. I mean, it's huge acreage. It's gorgeous barns. It's And I'm like, I go, I go, why'd you sell it so cheap? And he looks at me and he goes, well, we didn't have to pay any realtors. And I said, do you know the real estate agent's commission is on that? I said, do the math on it. You're at $24,000 probably total. But I go, think about this. You know, I mean, and that's, you know, on, on and you, you that's even high, right? I mean, that's the, you know, on the high side of it. And I go, I would have easily sold that house for $75,000 more to the open public. And he goes, well, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll ah, boy, I don't know what to tell you. Well, so guess what? They didn't run any of the, the pre-qualification letters the way they were supposed to. The whole deal blew up the week before after they moved everything out. And also now they're sitting there with a vacant house with a buyer that lost their financing. And I'm like, I, I literally want to call and be that smart ass that says, that's why you pay me right there. I, I, I avoid all that. And I would put more money in your pocket. I would have been free. And right now you'd be moving without stress. And instead of now having two house payments, because you already bought a place and you know, it's, you know, but Andy, here's the other thing too. I mean, everyone talks about, oh, the realtors are so expensive, but I'll tell you what, they're they're not very expensive after you have a problem. 
later on and something just like that. Now, not only have they moved all their stuff out, you know, yeah. now the house is less marketable because, you know, I mean, yeah. unless their furniture was horrible, but I mean, a, a house looks better with furniture and now you got to move everything back in or you got to pay a stager. Now it's going to come back onto the market. Their one saving grace is it wasn't on the open market. So that's good. If it would have been on the open market and it sold and you did it, whatever, you figured out some way in which to do it and you had it on the open market. Now it's like, what's wrong with it? Something happens, something fell through, you know, the old yeah. buyer fell through. Oh, sure it did. And so people question it a lot more at that time. And especially when you get into that kind of situation, let's just say that if that's me or I'm representing a buyer on the other side, going against that seller that hasn't done it, or if someone asked me that opinion, I'm going to go to that seller and tell them, Hey, here's the story. I mean, now you have to put it back on the market. You got to, you know, stage it. You got to do all this. I'll tell you what, I'll do a contract for deed. I'll do it for a year and I'll pay you off in a year. And then it's kind of like, Oh boy, should I do it or not? Now in the greatest market there is, you're stuck doing a contract for deed because they put you in a horrible position. Well, you know, it's like having a grand opening for a restaurant and you blow it and then you don't promote it correctly. And then all of a sudden you try to re-grand opening. People are like, well, what happened the first time? You ruined that first time buzz. I just tell people, you know, I think you need real estate agents to guide you more now than ever. Even if you hire them as a consultant, you want to do a for sale by owner, pay somebody. Like we had a buddy of ours, um, was a, a fan of our real estate show when we used to do it on CCO, calls us, big executive, multi-million dollar property, called Chris and I and said, hey, I'm going to buy you guys lunch. I'm going to pay you a consulting fee. I want you guys to come out and help me establish a value for this property with an unbiased opinion. You're, you're, you're not going to get the listing. You know, I, I already have somebody picked out that I'm going to hire, but I want you guys to help me establish what's really the value. I respected the hell out of that. I, I really did because we came out there, we analyzed it, we took it seriously. And, you know, if the new role of a real estate agent is going to change to, you know, here's what the market will pay, here's what you need to do to consult, what is that service worth? What is that now? On top of that, you pay them to market. On top of that, you pay them to negotiate. On top of that, you pay them to manage the file, the closing, make sure that everything's getting done on time. Um, it's different. I mean, I think that if you were to, you know, to answer your question again, Nick, I keep going back to it because, you know, have you guys evolved? I think we have evolved. And I think that what's happened is that we're like this new hybrid where we're using technology, but we're also using experience because things kind of go around the block and they kind of become the same thing again in real estate, unfortunately. You know, jobs, health, human, life changes, you know, whatever. And 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 so that and, and why do people buy houses? That has not changed. It's the way people buy houses, I think, that'll change here in the near future. We may do, you know, some new technologies to help make that easier, maybe lower cost, more streamlined. And I think Chris and I are both okay with that. Thank God. You just saved my job, Andy. Thank you. You guys were fired up today. It was awesome. Lots of great content. Remember, you can listen on iTunes, Spotify. SoundCloud, go to our anchor page. There's about 10 more platforms listed. Each week we do three clips posted on our Facebook. So if you just want clips of our best stuff, we had some funny things in there, check them out on Facebook. If you can leave us reviews and whatnot, share it with a friend, that'd be fantastic. Have a wonderful day. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.